Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Not Safe for Wonks. So glad to be with you as always. I'm Kennedy Cooper. We've got basically the whole crew here tonight. Brandon's here, Leia's here, Rachel's here. Every All the hosts wanted to be here for this yeah. one because it's exciting. It, it felt like it was going to be a fun one. I have not been on a mainline episode in a long time, and I'm very sorry for that. And I hope this Leia's makes up. been hiding out for weeks, yeah. like in a cave or something. I don't for know exactly. <laughs> I heard she's working on a book. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm encouraging you. I think it's going to be a good book. We have a really, a really fun episode tonight. It's an episode that is both, it's completely in line with our content, but it's also a little bit different than our normal content. At the same time, we have the developers of Tonight We Riot here today. Tonight We Riot is a game fresh out on Steam. It is a... Uh, arcade style beat em up with a crowd element and it it has some uh we should could say some some political themes perhaps <laughs> maybe <laughs> a little um, bit. yeah we'll get into that so um if you guys could introduce yourself we have, we've got steven the programmer and ted the artist here steven if you want to go first and say hi to everyone hi yeah i'm uh steven meyer i'm uh the programmer who was with the game the longest there was uh three of us in total but the last i was the the, the lone surviving programmer there was a battle of them in an alley it got ugly steven yeah. won. wow yeah. goes down like that sometimes and ted would you also introduce yourself to the audience please hi uh ted anderson the uh artist on tonight we riot did majority of the stuff this is a pleasure to have you both here yeah pleasure to have oh, you both you. here uh, Leia and I have both been playing the game. It's very um, fun. It's very good. Oh, cool. Uh, Glad you like it. Um, yeah. It's kind of like, um, to the viewer, if you haven't played it yet, it's kind of like Streets of Rage plus Pikmin, and it's it's very fun. Yeah, Leia came up with that. I thought it was actually a pretty good description. And uh, I, I, I really... actually almost word for word for what we <laughs> would call it when yeah. we go to conventions. No kidding. <laughs> Damn. Nice. Well, I guess you could say you were successful in your Yeah, I think you pulled it off. Yeah. Yeah, at at a PAX, there was a a, like a dad and a daughter uh, playing the game together. And um, uh, the dad spontaneously came up with that and said, oh, yeah, it's like it's like Pikmin. You know, it's it's kind of like that. And the daughter had no idea what Pikmin was, but she said it was kind of like Hunger Games because you like Mm -hmm. go through the different worlds as your, you know, like the lumber area and then, the the, you know, factory area and all that. But uh, yeah, I guess different different age groups have different references. Yeah, our, our game is like Hunger Games, only we actually have an explicit ideology. <laughs> Shots fired. Nice. Hey. nice. I like where this is going already. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I just want to say before we get too deep into the politics of the game, because I feel like that'll probably take up the bulk of the episode. Uh, I just want to say completely honestly and objectively, I, I like brawlers and that um, I thought that this was a good twist on the genre. And I would, you know, rate this game just ignoring the aesthetics, which are amazing, and I want to talk about. And that, that also just includes like the art and the music, which are incredible. Ignoring all that, I think the gameplay is quite good. And I, and and it was, you know, I've been really enjoying it. I'm about halfway through it so far, and I'm finding it really challenging. So that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks a bunch. Um, yeah, we've had about equal numbers of people complain about it being too hard and complain about it being too easy. So I think at that point, we're probably like, yeah, difficulty wise, we found, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, and I just wanted to say also what really led to this interview happening in a lot of ways was the tweet that y'all did where you said basically like if somebody really wanted a copy of this game and felt like they couldn't afford it to just reach out and like, you know, that like basically that you guys really believed everything that you were saying in the game. When I saw that, I was like, I want to have these guys on the show. Yeah, for sure. Do you want to talk about that tweet maybe a little just for a second? Like kind of what? uh Sure. Um, that was I was manning the uh, the social media that day, and you know it was a brand new uh, media drop for us. And I saw this person, you know, just being a doof, saying like, you know, something along the lines of like, do you, you know, everybody should pirate this game because that's what socialism is. Blah blah blah. It was like this really weird, total misunderstanding of what they were even right. Doing. Right. Yes. And I was like, you know, I'm going to get a lot of this for this game, and I'm going to get a lot of people who are upset about it for obvious polit- political reasons. But I feel like this is a, a good time where, like, taking the high road can definitely show, like, where our politics actually are and that we're not just blowing smoke. So yeah. uh, I just rattled that out. And I was like, also, this dude is never going to reply to that. <laughs> right. And he never did. Correct. Yeah. I never got a message from the dude. As parlance goes, owned. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And I think that there's a put up or shut up element of it, too, you know, and yeah. a lot of like actual like activists and organizers, people who are like putting up will eventually yeah. if somebody says something in bad faith enough, just call their bluff. And I think that that was a really like perfect, smooth, seamless, like called their bluff directly. Like, no, I mean it. I will give it to you for free. Yeah, and then also, I like to throw out there that, you know what, for someone who didn't know what being uh, a socialist is, I was comfortable with getting publicly owned. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Oh. Destroyer of jokes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Do you feel like, I, I don't know how many reviews have come out, do you feel like the politics of the game have affected the review scores? How do you feel about the review game in general? Maybe. Uh, or do you feel like it's just, if you send swag in, you get more points? Well, I'm basically saying, yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, actually, I, I was just thinking about um, uh, one of the people that we asked. Um, so we have given away a lot of the keys. People people ask, you know, on the DM sometimes and we send them. And there was um, one person on Steam who asked for a key and we gave it to them. And they, you can't guard against this, but they just wanted the key so they could trash the game. And they've turned into like a reply guy on the Steam forums and they've posted <laughs> oh, 80 wonderful. something times. Um, I counted one time like, and it's I haven't found like an excuse to ban them yet. But yeah, they've replied like 80 times. Just any time anybody comments on the game, they're on there like being a reply guy and trashing the game. But that's how you know you've made it. If you have your no. own reply guy. If you, no, yeah. You, you know how you know you made it. It was, <laughs> I was looking this game up to look at reviews of it. And one of the first ones I found was you guys are on National Review. Oh yeah, that shit was a hit. That was the biggest <laughs> no. fuck moment. Yeah. Yeah, that was a huge yeah. Antifa, the video game by Robert Verbruggen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that rules, to be clear. Like yeah. Antifa the video game sounds great. Like yeah. that's yeah. a selling point. The, to, yeah. the, to the, the readers of National Review. Yeah. Oh, it's it's by the way, that's on if you go to the Steam page now, we have like two reviews, uh, like the Kotaku or something art or variety, I think is on there. And then National Review. We we excerpted a bunch of parts of that and that's it's the only other endorsement so we've heard. You have uh, to. You have to. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like as soon as we saw that, we we're like, 
Yeah. Uh, cool. Thanks for oh, the, uh, the, the byline on the box. Like, yeah. like, let me let me read a, a quote here from the article. The game's ideology isn't some kind of Bernie Sanders socialism based on Denmark either. The story is full of references to taking over the means of production, and much of your time is spent pelting riot cops with bricks. You can unlock a Haymarket bomb, yep. a special achievement for using it to wipe out a whole group of police <laughs> officers at once. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't mention the pacifist achievement. Way more people have gotten that for not hurting anybody. Wait, 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 wait. You set it up with the pacifist achievement. They just didn't mention it at all. No, no that's the more common one. Yeah, if if you go through, if you go through any like street fighting level and you don't like throw anything or hit anybody or punch anybody and make it to the end, which you can do, uh, then you get like a pacifist achievement. A lot of your fellow workers are not going to survive if you do that, but you can do it. You can go, you can actually go through the entire game without punching or hurting or throwing anything at anyone, uh, except for the final, final, well, I won't spoil that, but yeah, you have, <laughs> you have to punch like one person. Other than that, you can go through the entire game without hurting anyone and, and complete the game. A lot of your workers won't survive. You won't get a lot of the, like the unlocks and this and that, but yeah, you can do it. Uh, it's, it's definitely a mechanic that, yeah. It doesn't sound like it doesn't sound awesome, but you can do it. <laughs> no, yeah. It doesn't seem like an Undertale scenario. Where I'm getting like a special no. ending. Like I, yeah. No, it's definitely not a power fantasy. Yeah. Um, I just okay. I really had asked about this one. Did you did you know when you were writing lines like uh, I I'm gonna paraphrase this badly. I'm sure, but like. Uh, Let's lay our lives down for capital, boys. That that would that would be go from parody to not parody in the span of like a week. Yeah, um, that was that was yeah. written. Coronavirus was kind of known about that, but it, that was written uh, January twenty fifth. I want to say, and that was like we had, people had heard of coronavirus by that point, but the discussion was not no. And so yeah, when that when that became more and more relevant. Yeah, that I I was not thinking of coronavirus. I think when I put that line in there, <laughs> that was like um, one of those things where like you you mentioned it to me, and then we like looked at it afterwards. And yeah, it was just a very you know yeah your enthusiasm music moment of just yeah. Yeah, because I remember like towards the end of February or, or March, uh, like you were posting on Facebook about somebody, you know, saying basically that argument. And I was like, hey, do you remember this from the game? And I posted a screenshot of that and and you were, yeah. So that definitely became a screenshot that we used on the store pages and stuff. But when we wrote that line, no. So when y'all make a game, you know, you start, I mean, anybody in my class when I was in in middle school or high school, they wanted to make a video game and maybe they like made some art of what their video game would look like. But obviously the practical process of making a game is different than, you know, the design phase. So was there anything really cool that you guys had in the design phase that you're like sequel when we come back to it, maybe we'll do that. But it it just couldn't make the cut for practical reasons. And what was that? process like um well i know one like right off the bat that's like not super huge but is you know, kind of small as we were initially for that whole can you pet the dog thing was real big <laughs> yeah animation. Over the idea of making it so you could pet the dog but by that point we were so far along in the game i was just like no i'm i'm not doing an animation like things like yeah. four, four different characters it'd be like 16 characters worth of animation to get them yeah. to like on a dog for like a tweet <laughs> yeah and speaking of dog uh this is something that was 
funny to me and was something that I hadn't heard of until Kennedy talked about it. So can you talk about for a second about Kinako, the uh, and I butchered that name, the riot dog? Oh, man, riot dog rules. I love the fact that there are riot dogs that like show up to uh, rallies and are just like clearly having a great time. Definitely. Yeah, the homage, uh, like the red handkerchief was a reference to the Chilean riot dog, and then Luke was supposed to be a reference to several others. But it, man, that was actually way more fleshed out a long time. <laughs> like a year ago when we put that dog in, I had this idea of like, what if the dog goes through like these these layers of radicalization? Because it, the actual dog in, in the riots, when, it fir- when the riots first started, the dog was a street dog that just sort of was interested, but it didn't pick a side. And it wasn't until there were a few instances of the police just wailing on people that the dog like interceded and then from that point forward was constantly on the right side of history like constantly yeah. on there barking at the police you know this and that and that and and, and getting in the police's face and just sort of took it chose a side uh, at a certain point and and uh yeah i didn't get that deep into it uh because i wrote yeah. i wrote the dialogue for it but there's yeah there's a lot of easter eggs in what the dog says um <laughs> there's a tom nook reference in in the switch version <laughs> um nice. hell yeah yeah um Love that. yeah yeah and then in, in the pc version i think the first thing it says it's, it's constantly click quoting the communist manifesto and it it quotes like the uh you have nothing to lose but your chains but it says uh leashes instead so you have nothing to lose but your leashes and then this and that <laughs> we spent way too much time on the greek translations for that. <laughs> but yeah amazing we still like through no fault of our own efforts really just like you know pushed it a bit like had a fan on uh twitter come in and help us out that was really cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, helping with with Greek. If that's on the list of updates because we've now fixed it in the game for all like the little grammatical errors in Greek. <laughs> so <laughs> that's another thing that'll get fixed in the update. And nice. you can pet it probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you know you were talking about putting the dog in a year ago. And sort of broadly, I want to talk about like what really started this project for y'all? Like, what what made you think, like, yes, we should make a game where you actually do the communist revolution and, like, punch a cop in the face? Which, to be clear, I am in favor of. It's a good game. You know, that's a real solid one right there. Um, yeah, fucking I, rules. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, uh, the game kind of started uh, a couple of different places. One, probably the most definite moment, was, like, in through uh, Bioshock Infinite. And I just love the hell out of that storyline until a point. But then, like, just it played like the you know crisis right losing horn, and it was just like both sides are bad. Just like ah, oh, I'm so tired of this. Shit. Like you can't craft an entire world where like violent white supremacist capitalists are, have this like super science world of their own, and everybody else is like beaten down by them. They'd be like, oh yeah, the people who got beaten down. Ooh, what if we stood in judgment over them being mad about it? And I was just like, I want to make a game that's just honestly and straight up leftist game. Apologetically so, and says, hey, what if the world was better? That'd be cool. Yeah, that's kind of where the, the game, at least in like its German, uh, germination, you know, that's where it started out. Was everybody excited about that? Or was there, like, who did, who did you first bring it to? Were they on the same page with you? Or was there pushback? Um, I think, like, initially, uh, I talked about it with a couple of friends of mine, and there was uh, a guy who I pitched it to, and he said that if he did do it, he would want to make it both sides, and... <laughs> oh, God. ...the piss out of it. I was just like, eh, hard no, and moved on with my project, and then uh, one of my buddies, uh, a fellow named Sean Dick, 
gotten back in touch with each other, and lo and behold, he was a programmer and was wanting to do some game jam kind of stuff. And, and he was all about it. We worked on it for a time until we had a demo going, and then had someone approach us uh, from South by Southwest at a little indie showcase here in Austin. And they're like, hey, you should apply for this contest, and we'll, you know, the reward is like a free booth. And, and I was like, bah, you know, eventually I did. And eventually they did email us back, and they're like, hey, be with us now. Awesome. So that was what allowed us to end up getting a publisher. And I mean, I think that where was uh, became something bigger than just a you know a demo or a toy, something we're making. Yeah. I mean, like never really had any ideological pushback on any of the elements of the thing, though. Yeah, I, I jumped in when uh, Sean Dick had to take a full time job right after South by Southwest. And I jumped in and I loved it because especially being able to kind of convey certain things through game mechanics, you know, being able to have it be no one protagonist, but you're playing as the movement, um, no one leader, when no, no one uh, protagonist, Th- those sorts of things are, are cool to be able to convey in a game mechanic, you know, kind of like. Every video game there is, for the most part, you know, ninety-nine percent of them, they have this sort of great man worldview of history, uh, where it's one person running in with a gun and fixing everything. And I, I hadn't seen a lot of others that try and make it so that you're part of a movement. Certain MMOs, like like Eve, if you're playing Eve online, there are different tribes that feel like you are part of a movement, and and there's uprisings and there's stories like that, but in a simpler game, uh, it's it's not done very often. And so I was really excited to be able to play around with that, sort of have a Marxist view of history in a game. And and yeah, so I, I loved working on that. I definitely thought that that feature was interesting and in that you kind of switched between different people and there was no great man of history, one guy who did a revolution. Yeah. The, the the revolution doesn't end because one person falls because it's not about a person. Yeah, that that also appealed to me. I also I just really loved how at the very beginning, you know, the, when you load up the game, there's this cutscene that sort of introduces you to the game, like many retro games of this type, and it presents the problem as the world is in the throes of capitalism and that's it that's like you guys don't like add anything else to that of like oh it's capitalism and now it's bad because blah blah it's like no it's just the world is in the throes of capitalism (laughs) um yeah as soon as i saw that i was like i this is really unrepentantly leftist so i'm kind of curious to ask you both about um maybe sort of like your journey to the left or like kind of what 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 politics you have now and how you got them, I guess, to put it another way. And uh, yeah, start with whoever wants to go first. Go ahead, Stephen. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, I, when I started off in undergrad uh, in, in Texas, I was reading the National Review, which it's been quite a journey <laughs> to, to then, like all these years later, have the National Review saying which of my game characters are going to burn in hell. Um, oh, that was man. my favorite part of the article. <laughs> that but was such a funny line. Yeah. The line was, I think, um, when, yeah. you're, uh, when the character you're currently playing as joins Stalin in Burning in Hell. To me, it was like almost this moment where I could imagine him like writing about this. He's like, wait a second. I've said too many good things about this game. It's yeah, bad. Yeah, it, got, it took a dark turn there. But anyway, I was, you know, back in undergrad reading that. And, you know, I, I for me, it was just, it started off policy by policy where I, I, you know, healthcare was of course the first thing right off the bat where you're looking at it in other countries and seeing where it works, how it works and um, no reason it can't work here. And then trying to figure out why 
that hasn't happened in our country and and what are uh, the things stopping it and and how much of our politics is influenced by money and those things. And so that started me on the path. Yeah, I don't know. Ted, do you want to talk? I mean, you're, you've Ted's been more of an activist, like actually going out there selling socialist magazines and, and uh, going out and organizing unions and things like that. Uh, I, I feel like I haven't earned <laughs> what Ted has earned. Uh, and even though I've definitely taken, you know, I've taken classes on Marxism, I'm not probably as up on, on theory and, uh, and Ted more laid out the lore of the game and the, and the story behind it. So like my own path was, uh, I don't know if is the right word, but like both my parents are just, you know, that very trickle of you, if you know it, uh, you night uh Californian. They like their right wing politics slightly more polite than Texas. <laughs> so like when I came to college and I, you know, voted for the first time, I had really no personal political identity. I think it was just kind of like vague knowledge of like, my own parents in politics. So first time I voted, I straight up asked my mom, I was like, uh so who's good to vote for in this whole presidential thing? And she's like, Bush, W, vote for him. And I was like Alrighty, you know. But then, like, as those four years went on, and like, you know, everything just tumbled downhill uh, after nine eleven. Yeah, I started being like, "Wow, maybe Republicans suck, like, real bad." Yeah. So I started like just moving leftward from there, and then like actually reading up on the stuff that had been kind of low key, not even low key, but like been taught my entire life. Or like, these are bad, and the reason why they're bad is because they're bad. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I didn't really think about it, but how big uh, Bush and, and the Iraq war was as part of my journey. I, I, the first, the first, the protest I ever went to was uh, about a professor in my town, Samuel Arian, uh, getting taken and not charged and, and imprisoned for up to, up to a year because of the Patriot Act and followed very soon after by the, the second protest I went to, which was about the Iraq war. And yeah, how, how big that was on, because you're talking to two Texans, uh, and, and well, I'm Florida and Texas, uh, who started off, both started off conservative and have lived to really know better and really regret some of the views we had uh, when we were younger. And um, yeah, the Bush presidency was a huge, huge stepping stone where it was sort of a wake up call. And, and it was a wake up call in a way that I would have thought Trump's presidency would have been for a lot more people. And um, it's a shame it hasn't been more of a wake up call so far. But sorry, that sort of an aside there. I just want to say, you know, we talk to we talk, sometimes talk to people who are from other countries, you know, live in other countries, things like that, where they've had different political experiences. And, you know, no one is born woke in America. I think this story that you're yeah. telling is is probably yeah. a lot more common that a lot of people realize or admit. And like, I think it's great that people, t you know, tell these stories and, and yeah. just kind of be honest about the fact that like, yeah, you know, uh, a lot of us, you know, had reactionary or conservative beliefs at one time, because yeah. that's, the, that's the norm. That is yeah. the normal programming of America. All of us have shitty pasts. Right, right. Well, and uh, Ted, you said something about sort of uh, these sort of unchallenged ideas about capitalism being good, socialism being bad. Oh, yeah, and, like I started really analyzing that and it just didn't hold up. Right. Well, and I, I think 
one of the reasons that happens, right, is because there is this massive media machine that serves specifically capitalism, you know, and it it sort of frames the entire conversation that everybody is having. Um, But nowadays, uh, especially in the last like five years or so, we're seeing this sort of renaissance of overtly leftist media happening. And I wanted to sort of get like y'all's opinions on that. Do you think that there is sort of a nascent movement in media itself? You know, do you think that y'all are contributing to that sort of larger conversation with this? You know, or do you feel kind of like you're the outsiders and like sort of alone in it? Hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I think that there's been like uh, you know, a surge of you know properly left or at least you know very skeptical about capitalism games uh, that have come out recently, and I would say are definitely indicative of a growing sense of like media that is video games broadening beyond one particular narrative. And that's one of the reasons why like you, you see a lot of reactionary gamers freak out about it is because they assumed media that they were, you know, taking in was already like the middle line could possibly have politics to the right. So why would you ever want to push, you know, further left anything? And when you do that, they are kind of oh everything changed. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't want us to pretend like we're the only ones pushing a leftist message uh, in video games right now. Because, you know, sure, you, you you see it some on Steam, on Itch, there's tons, there's tons of left. In fact, on our last, on Steam, on our last update and on Itch, I, I think we plugged uh, Callista, this incredible leftist game maker who's been, has made like 20 awesome, deeply meaningful leftist games in the amount of time it took us to make our one, <laughs> like games with a lot more anyway uh, like we do not want to pretend generally they don't get on nintendo switch which is i i haven't seen a lot of leftist games on switch or any really but they are out there like the like we are certainly not breaking new ground generally with that and i would like to think that we're helping promote that conversation uh i was really happy to hear that means tv has been had a, like an uptick in subscribers after the game came out i was really hoping oh, for that cool. that because they they sort of yeah, like lent yeah they lent their name to us and and the pressure on that because they were thinking about getting into games and to be their first game like if it's awful then people aren't gonna like it could hurt sort of their brand like the the right. the what people think of for for means and so we were i was very nervous about that but yeah means has seen an uptick in subscribers while the game was coming out uh, a, a pretty sizable uptick and so that's you know who knows how many young gamers <laughs> who you know checked out this game liked it and then are checking out now you know maybe they never got into bread tube but now they're checking out means and uh I'm, I'm really happy if that happens even even a few times so this is a a kind of a weirder question and maybe this is a little more esoteric and more back into the kid with the notebook drawing up the games what kind of concepts what other political concepts do you do y'all feel have not been touched on uh hmm. in games and is it an industry thing or is it more of a technical thing of what it, what provides a satisfying feedback because you know a brawler if you punch something it feels satisfying controlling a group of people feels satisfying Pushing through a level feels satisfying. Are there concepts of community or just any political concept that you feel like the game world hasn't done yet? And is it a challenge to do that? I would say um, this actually really reminds me of a discussion I had social media a while ago. I was talking about like, would there be a way to make one of those types of like walk around and explore building games where you're like harvesting wood and stone? Uh, would there be a way to do that uh, and not really kind of cling to those ideas of like 
colonialism or like coming into a place and fundamentally changing. How do you decolonize a kind of game? What would that mean? How would you be able to do that kind of game? And I don't think we ever really got to a fully satisfying answer, but it's still one of those like puzzles I like to kind of deal with every once in a while and see, like, you know. Yeah, that is really interesting. That sounds really interesting. And I mean, a lot of um, sort of fundamental assumptions that underscore the design philosophy of games and the rules that they operate under come from fundamental assumptions that we make under living in capitalism. And a lot of the most interesting games that I've encountered are willing to break those rules or sort of envision new ones and how a game could be built on different assumptions in a different society because you know art is just as representative of the people who made it as the society who makes it so it'd be interesting to see what kinds of games a socialist society would create and you have to lay those bricks with starting individual games in the capitalist society so speaking of laying bricks i'm very curious you know what's next for y'all (laughs) <laughs> what are you i assume you're not gonna go to disney oh. <laughs> yeah. uh, i think like first of all for us is just taking a taking a nicely you know well-deserved little break yeah and uh and you know i know we've got a couple ideas around out there and yeah i haven't on any of them yet so who knows yeah i if you saw my daughter running around at the beginning of the call i promised her that i'd make she has she has a game idea involves letters of the alphabet but it's a combat game where they're like shouting their phonetical sounds as they're fighting and like she has this whole plan for it she's she's like written it out and has like a design document and i promised her that we'd we'd make that together next so that's that's the very next thing i'm gonna do is is make this alphabet fighting game an edutainment god i would love to make a bunch of edutainment games now i don't know so fun fact, actually, uh, in a previous life, that's what I did. And I'll tell you about it after really? the show. Yes, I. Uh, my biggest, coolest thing is I made a pinball game for Sesame Street. But we'll talk oh, about that why? after the show. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, I would love to ask you uh, a, a quick follow-up on edutainment games. It seems like the bottom fell out from under those at some point. Like, they used to be a thing, and now they're, like, kind of not. Uh, and every now and again, like an exception pops up, but it's an exception. It's not like a a, a, a normal occurrence. Well, I also say that like that is largely the market that you're exposed to. So, like for me, with uh, I've got you know kids, you see a lot more that kind of stuff because it is definitely marketed to like younger children, less so towards like, uh, like a teen audience or. I, I'd say you don't see it in the classroom as much, though. Like, like my daughter's school, you know, back when I was, you know, in her grade, they had the Apple Twos. It was only one or two per classroom, but you had the Apple Two and you had the Oregon Trail and you had Museum Madness or whatever else on there. And um, you, you don't, I don't know. I, I feel like they got worried about screen time or something, and you just you don't see them in the classroom so much anymore. Or at least I, yeah, I haven't heard of it in the classroom. I also feel like Kennedy, a lot of those games that you're talking about, they exist, but now they're apps. Like they're just something yeah. that you like put them on a tablet and you give them to the kid instead of like we had like Mavis Beacon yeah. just typing, or we had the one where they're like that like math blasters that. game. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was like a platformer and you had to shoot numbers or something. Yeah. Like, math blasters. Yeah. 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 Math blasters ruled. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, no, I think you're right, Brandon. Those games do still exist, and they are getting made for tablets. Uh, and a lot of them are getting made under these sort of larger banners, too. Like, that market has also been very much colonized by, like, large, you know, industry titans mm. who have, like, child education brands to begin with, right? Like, that's why I was making content for, you know, specifically Sesame Street, right? Because yeah. Sesame Street Studios has a huge number of games that they're just churning out all the time. And it's like, your kids already know these characters are going to attach to these characters and play these games. And I think it's just sort of a function of capitalism, honestly. Yeah. The commodification of everything. So good. We, we love so it. So good. <laughs> So speaking of which, I mean, y- y'all are in an industry where, I mean, do you know for 100% like a movie has a big opening day? Do you guys know for 100% that the game has been successful like at this stage? Yeah, we finally, finally got the numbers from Nintendo like a day ago. <laughs> um, and it was it was uh, it, it was good. It was more than the publisher, or more than means thought it was going to sell and more than I thought it was going to sell. I mean, the indie games these days, gosh, the average indie game, uh, it's dropped to like 2500 or something like that the average amount it brings in and uh you know we it's definitely still a labor of love like the game's sort of taken off but it's not like it's not like after four years of working on it you know part-time but working on it pretty solidly for four years that Mm -hmm. you're gonna see a a big return on that you know investment or anything nobody nobody makes indie games to get rich even the ones that really take off they can pay some bills and it's it's not like they're uh we're really hoping that the money that means is taking like they're they're part of it you know they're not taking a ton but we're hoping that um that money is able to set up that there's enough of it that they can set up their own game collective uh because they they came to us as we were sort of finishing up the game but the idea is that means would create something for games like they've created for video content where there's this large collection of content producers that are working under the same banner that are helping each other wherever they can and that and that they're they're able to get a stipend able to live off of what they're making uh as they're making it um, which is something right now that's really lacking right now indie games is kind of like a kind of a rich person's pursuit or at least not a struggling person's pursuit because uh, you won't see returns on it for so 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 long that you know if we didn't have day jobs <laughs> yeah if we didn't have day jobs that paid a living wage or supportive family you know supportive spouses and stuff we wouldn't have been able to make this game uh we we just had that privilege to be able to to have that time to do it if you're working two or three jobs you can't you don't have enough time for these sorts of creative endeavors um which is a shame and so what means is looking to build yeah i'm really i think this has done well enough that means it's going to move forward with that and and try and build that more complete uh collective and I'm, i'm really excited to see what that turns out to look like i think that's really great and we talk about a lot you know just like if you're working two jobs, ride the bus to both those jobs, you have a kid, you don't have the one hour even to just, you know, like people talk about, oh, just put that one or two hours into your game or whatever. And in a few years, eventually you'll have something. It's like, there are literally people who don't have that time at all. So I think it's what you're describing, that sounds really cool. And I'm I'm very interested to see what Means does with that because that's very exciting. Yeah. I literally was going to say the same thing. Your description of like, it's not like a a poor person's pursuit can be ascribed to pretty much everything in America that is any kind of creative pursuit, because it just takes a lot of time to, to catch on with people, especially because the fight for attention is so vicious. Like just to even keep people's attention for a few minutes takes 
a lot out of you. And trust me, we know all about that. And obviously you're in an industry where that bottom line is very important. The publishers are under the gun and it's often taken out on the developers. Can you talk a little bit about what the labor situation is like in the game industry and how much y'all fit into that pattern and how much y'all broke out of that pattern? And yeah, let's just start there. Like what, give people a big picture view of what labor is like in the game development. Yeah. Well, Ted spent a long time in the games industry, way longer than me. So I'll let, I'll let him answer that. Well, um, yeah, so I've been involved in games about 20 years now. And I started off as an intern at 18, which is far too young for that. But I was way so excited to be there. And you know, I just worked my ass off. I was like, I just breathed and sweated games. I would only have an apartment because it was a bed. I would go to work, you know, just work on work stuff all day long, every single day. I was just so excited to be there. And, like, I think I near burned myself out of the industry within, like, four years because of that shit. That would be my experience as well. Like, the industry is so toxic. And there's always another 18-year-old who's happy to take your place. Right. And yeah, so they exactly. absolutely use that against us. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, they definitely use your excitement and your passion against you, where it's like, you know, and that, I think that was one of the things that grated on me the most after a while, was just like, it felt so abusive. Like, yeah. It was kind of like someone saying, like, if you really love me, yes. just a little longer. Right. Working in the games industry is what taught me that if you walk into an interview and they mention that they're all like a big family and they have a beer fridge, you need to run the fuck out, like, yeah. immediately. <laughs> And my my dad was in the games industry. So growing up, I got a lot of these stories. And he used to tell me back in the old days, in like the early 2000s, he would be working 12, 14 hour days, six days a week, sleeping under his desk three or four days, uh, three or four nights a week. And now things are better. But I I have a suspicion that's just because because he's climbed the ladder a little bit more. And time to time i would talk to him about unionizing but he would wave me off and say that no the industry doesn't need that because uh, it's a creative industry so each person needs to prove their own merits and needs to be useful we don't need that uh, that's just what they want you to think yeah <laughs> yeah oh i think like the thing I, I always think about when i think about unionizing this industry is like how awesome it would be to have like a union rep at the publisher meeting that talks about release dates. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Are y'all involved with Game Workers Unite at all? Yeah. Oh, I am at least. Hell yeah. So for people who don't know, Game Workers Unite is um, it's the beginnings of a union. It's sort of getting off the ground now, and it is specifically for game workers. Although I've been trying to talk them into getting like other developers as well because we all kind of have the same problems. But it's it's awesome. It's really a great concept and it's a union i really hope to see take off uh, especially as you know more and more people learn to code and start churning out content for you know corporations everywhere yeah now kind of revisiting for a second uh just something that i remembered and wanted to get out about the abusiveness of game developing companies and there's something my dad told me that's kind of sticked with me is that when he would get new artists and he was an artist so he'd be in charge of artists he would tell them you're not making art dispel any notions you have in your head about making art you make you push pixels and i will tell you how where and when to push them (laughs) and and i'm like hey that's kind of abusive and shitty why don't you wish that the industry was better and he was like yeah but we can't have better things yeah it's bad because it's bad, and it will stay bad until it's not yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. 
I always say, like, people who say it is what it is are the reasons why it is what it is. Right, <laughs> right. Your dad seems like a perfect example. Right. You know, so, like, me, it was just, I think that there's still, like, this notion amongst, you know, game development that it is somehow a truly special industry and a truly special and unique uh, experience and this, that, and the other, and that it doesn't apply. Like, all the lessons of history and labor and this and that apply because this is different this time it's like oh no, it's the same shit yeah. producing a good and, and you know getting exploited for it just call it what it is <laughs> yeah yeah it gets it gets games just in general get treated different yeah they special uh, you see it people getting so much more worried about violence in games than they ever would about violence in in print media or or movies um much more worried about violence in games and 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 weirdly uh angry about political messages in games uh where they might not be about political messages in random books and and uh tv shows and so yeah they, it gets treated as somehow different than any other media even even when it's not is your violence like a little bit less controversial because the, it's little pixel art like everybody's like oh they're fighting cops <laughs> yeah, <laughs> burning cops so weird you're a jolly dance uh, the the ratings uh, system was really fun to play with. Really, really fun to because then they even um, it was even reevaluated in uh, uh, I think the Peggy system, the European one. They had at first said it was eighteen up, and and then they reevaluated it based on the pixels and because it's pixel art, and then evaluated it down. Not enough pixels, so uh, it's not, yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> someone else can yeah. handle it. If you hit the cop, and like in Mortal Kombat, like they just had sweat. That you just bash the cop and they got really sweaty and fell down, then it's totally <laughs> fine for kids to play it. But if there's blood, then it's a problem. Yeah. Just change the color of the blood. Then you're good. <laughs> yeah. Brandon, you had one more question, no, right? No, that was it. I just, oh. no, I'm good. So All right. tell them, tell them where you can, where they can go to like play this game. Kennedy's uh, played it. Leia's played it. What do you got, Kennedy? Yeah, I, I just want to say once again, y'all, Tonight We Riot is, is a very worthwhile game to check out. Go take a look at. Um, I'm having fun with it. Uh, Steven and Ted, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about your game and your politics and all of the above. This was absolute pleasure, and uh, we'll definitely have to find some excuse to bring you back sometime, I'm sure. Sure. Uh, because this was great. And uh, if y'all would like to just uh, remind everybody out there who's listening, um, how they find the game, how they find you on social media, how they get plugged in to know everything about this and buy a copy. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, the game's available on Nintendo Switch in the eShop everywhere, but a couple little places in Asia that we haven't jumped through the ratings hoops yet. Uh, but then on um, GOG, on Steam, on Itch. Uh, for PC, Mac, and Linux, and uh, it's fifteen dollars right now. It's a fight fighting game for fifteen. A fight for fifteen. Oh. What the minimum wage should have been like several years ago. <laughs> but uh, um, we were serious about like it, it, we have this big spreadsheet of keys of, of unlock keys, and a lot of them are just broke fan, broke fan, broke fan. So um, if you reach out to us on Twitter, Ted, remind everybody what the what the Twitter yeah. handle is. Is uh, at Fight We Riot, all one word, no spaces, I mean, no like underscores or anything like that. And uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Our, that's Twitter presence. And then if you look up Tonight We Riot on Facebook, you'll find us as well. Yeah. But yeah, seriously, if, if the money is an issue at all, 
just hit us up on the DMs or or on Steam or something, and and we'll we'll make sure you get a key. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, for sure. Yeah, like, and with like all the stuff that's happened with COVID, like yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, you guys are very cool and very great. I will just point out that this is like a cooperatively owned project. Um, when you buy this game, it's going like directly to the people that made it. So if you can afford it, like afford it. I don't want to hear, oh, well, you know, like if you can get it, get it. Yeah. Like honor system. Don't be a fucking dick. Like, (laughs) like these people put their time and energy into this. They do need to eat. But if you have to choose between buying it and eating, like they'll help you out. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, and speaking of uh, needing to eat and working on a thing, this show also, we need to eat. And uh, it, it really helps if you go to patreon.com slash not safe and check out what we have going on over there. Um, we have lots of great content. We're doing the lots of guys have podcasts these days show over on Patreon. Um, those eps will be coming out eventually for everyone, but they come out for the patrons well in advance of everyone else. So some some little advantages if, if you have the ability to do something to support the yeah. show. We do deeply appreciate it. And uh, we appreciate all of our listeners always, all the time. Thank you so much for tuning in. It has been another wonderful episode of Not Safe for Wonks. Steven and Ted, thank you so much once again. The development developers of tonight we riot available everywhere that you can get a game except some places in asia until the rating system gets worked out or whatever (laughs) (laughs) available everywhere mostly it's all like little tiny uh text at the bottom of a poster (laughs) thank you so much for having us on thank you very much thank you so much for joining us your game rocks you rock let's be best friends you know (laughs) oh yeah yeah Brandon, say bye-bye. Bye-bye.